Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, and welcome to the New Books Network. I am your host, Jennifer Yeremeyeva, and today I'm with Olga Zilberberg to talk about her new collection of short stories, Like Water and Other Stories, which is out this autumn and published by WTAW Press. Olga, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm so glad to talk to you. Uh, it's great to have you here. I'd like to begin with inviting you to read one of the stories from this collection. Um, it's called Dandelion, and let's uh, let you go, go to it. Dandelion. A story Oz had written nearly won a prize. Though the story came in second, it received some notice. A New York agent contacted her. I have read the story of yours and think it's wonderful. Do you have a novel you need representation for? Oz had no novel, but she did have a 19-month-old. He's very much like a novel, she told the agent. Can I ship him to you? People are telling me, since he can walk, that he's no longer a baby. Soon, he'll be ready for publication. The agent asked to see a picture. Oz sent a recent image of the child in the park holding a white-headed dandelion by the stem. The child's pale curls, backlit by the setting sun, resembled the dandelion. The agent liked the picture and asked to see dandelion in person. Before shipping her child off, to New York, Oz added the final touches. She cut his hair and trimmed his nails. She gave him a long bath to scrub the dandruff from his scalp and the playground grime from his hands and face. She outfitted him with a leash harness so he wouldn't be able to run into traffic. She cut off feet from his pajamas and straps from his hat to make it look more like a baseball cap. She taught him to smile and give high fives when he was too shy to say hello. Oz didn't have time to teach him to use the toilet, and this concerned her a great deal. She wrote to the agent asking for advice, but the agent assured her it would be fine. If a publisher would take Dandelion on, they would toilet train using their preferred method. I frequently advise authors to leave one obvious flaw for the publisher to edit, the agent wrote. The editors will edit, and unless you give them something obvious to work with, they are liable to start messing with the parts they better leave alone. Having done Everything she she could think of, Oz presented the child to her husband. Her husband was Oz's first reader, and though not very familiar with the publishing industry, gave common-sense advice that helped her make sure she was on the right track. You 
may have cut his hair too short, the husband said, running his fingers across the child's head. Otherwise, he's perfect. He asked the child to point out his belly button and then tickled him until the child was squealing with laughter. I am going to miss him, the husband said, but I guess if he's to be published, I'll see him soon. The husband helped Oz package and ship Dandelion to New York. Then they waited. The agent acknowledged the receipt and said that Dandelion was as beautiful in person as he'd looked in the picture. A week later, she wrote to say that he was a very active child with boundless curiosity and that she would right away introduce him to several publishers and schedule an auction. She asked if there were a code word or a particular bedtime routine that could help Dandelion relax and be still for more than a few minutes at a time. Reading books to him didn't seem to help. He wanted to flip the pages himself and kept asking to see the cats. I'm not sure what cats he means. These old school publishers are tired, the agent wrote. They want to take on familiar, well-behaved projects. Oz suggested taking Dandelion on a good walk, walk to tire him out and then giving him a bath. When she didn't hear back from the agent, she started to worry. After three weeks, Oz broke decorum and wrote again to ask about Dandelion. He's my only child, she explained, and though I know it's already out of my hands, I do worry about his future. I want to make sure I've done my best by him. It took the agent another week to write back. Dandelion had been introduced to nearly a dozen publishers, the agent reported, but unfortunately he failed to make the right impression. It turned out he didn't do well under pressure. He kept asking for mommy and other things he couldn't have. He didn't respond well to discipline. He refused to hold hands when walking down the street and darted into traffic with such force that he took his leash with him. He was still alive, but barely. In short, no bids were forthcoming. The agent didn't see any point in trying again later. A basic character flaw made the child unacceptable to the major publishers. Being in San Francisco, the agent wrote, you will be tempted to publish with an independent press. I would strongly counsel against this. Publishing with a small press makes you look desperate and abstruse. If you want to make it in New York, you have to work harder. The agent sent the child back. Oz barely recognized him. He looked like a dandelion whose seeds had all blown away. He smelled like a sewer. His loaded diaper had not been changed during transit, but instead encased in a second pair of pants. Together, Oz and her husband washed the child. 
They'd hoped that once his hair was clean and dry, it would curl back up, but they were disappointed. The awful smell was gone, but the hair remained thin and straight. Oz returned to writing short fiction while her husband cared for the child. Let's see if you still like being tickled, he said, and chased after the boy, who promptly climbed from the dining room chair onto the table, nearly turning both over as he jumped to the floor. A step ahead of his father, he ran to his old bedroom where Oz had recently moved her desk and went to hide in her drawer. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much, Olga. I think any writer who has a small child uh, or a manuscript can relate to this. <laughs> this is a great example of these really pithy stories in the collection, which explore all kinds of issues um, from motherhood to the immigrant experience and the nature of biculturalism and biculturalism and bicultural families. But I think also, the challenges of um, challenges the nature of reality. There is really a lot in this very slim volume, and I'm looking forward to speaking uh, about it with you today, Olga. Let's begin with your own story, which I think it seems to be shaped so many of the stories in Like Water. How did you come to to writing in general, and and to writing this book in specific? Right. Um, so I. <laughs> um... In brief, <laughs> I grew up in the Soviet Union, um, and I was about, well, I was 12 when the Soviet Union fell apart, um, and I, I come from the Jewish family, um, and um, my parents were always tackling the subject of should they immigrate, so many of our you know, friends and uh, family members were leaving for Israel and the United States all through the 80s and the 90s. Um, anyway, they ended up uh, staying, but uh, when the opportunity arose, um, I, I uh, went to um, to the U.S. to study, and I landed in Rochester, New York. Um, uh, but uh, the so you know, and I went so I went I went to college there. Um, and long story short, I ended up staying here and they ended up being there. <laughs> and um, I think eventually <laughs> I came to writing uh, as an attempt to bridge that gap and what, what that meant. Um, um, you know, my first career was in business. And so it was, yeah, it took me a long time to um, figure out how to how to live in two worlds. I felt like I was living in two worlds for a long time. And um, writing was, or the world of the imagination provided uh, the opportunity to, to, yeah, to inhabit two worlds at the same time. So I, um, I started, um, I, I got, I got a, an MA in comparative literature and it took me a long time. I, to, um, to read enough in English to, you know, to, um, and to understand how the, uh, publishing industry worked here and how the, um, yeah, how, what, 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 what was, um, the contemporary American short story, the publishable American short story, um, to, to have, um, to get to this book. Um, but I, 
uh, I have published um, quite quite extensively in various literary magazines uh, up um, un- until this point. Um, and and what made you choose the short story, which to me seems like an incredibly um, challenging genre, but you've like cracked it completely <laughs> in so many different ways in this collection. Um, but what draws you to the to the actual short story? Well, it's it's funny. Um, I it's um, I think it's just the anxiety <laughs> that that, that <laughs> um, I you know when I first started writing. Uh, I had um I couldn't I, I couldn't bring myself to reread what I had written. It felt mm. so scary somehow. Um and you know, a writer can't write without, you know, revising or going back. Uh but it really it felt prohibitive. I I, I couldn't do it. Um so um you know, so so I, I figured that, you know, I I could I could write, <laughs> I could write a short story. I could write a, I could write, if I could write a story in one sitting, um, I wouldn't have to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I'm not sure so, aspiring writers should follow that advice, but I think it's great. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, and, you know, obviously, you know, that was, that was just the first step, but it actually, it helped a lot to, you know, Really, after thirty days of that, I had thirty stories. <laughs> uh, and I think you were part of a writing group that um, met frequently. Yeah. Did I did I read that right in the in the acknowledgments part of the book? Yes. Yes. That that and that writing group that that really helped a lot with that particular anxiety. Um, I so there's uh, this group called the San Francisco Writers Workshop and. Um, it meets once a week uh, at a bookstore. Well, now it meets at a bookstore. It used to be an art gallery um, at the, you know, in the basement of an art. We used to meet at the basement in the, of an art gallery, and it meets every week. And the idea is that you read out loud up to six pages of, you know, of a, of a work that you want to share, and people comment right away. So I, it's a sort of a cross between an open mic and a workshop. Um, and for me, that was so incredibly effective because, well, first of all, it got me to read what I wrote. <laughs> and, um, and second, it got me to, to speak it in my own voice. And I had never actually heard what my voice sounds like. So, you know, the, that whole idea of coming to, to your own voice and what that means, there's a big discussion, right? Um, between, writers uh, what that really means but reading out loud <laughs> is, is actually it's such a fantastic exercise for that because while I speak with an accent and I couldn't pronounce certain words I didn't know how they looked you know how you know I knew how they looked I didn't know how they uh how to speak them um so over, right away I saw that my 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 level of diction in my stories was very disconnected from my everyday speech and my my characters did not sound what you know what I you know like there's a big disconnect between my my characters and and myself basically um so yeah so and I you know and the the answer is what to do with that information that took also like a long time to 
And how does how did it how did it um, affect you being very bilingual? I mean, did you did you initially think about the stories in Russian, write them in? I mean, how does the Russian come into it? Because a lot of your characters are Russian um, and are speaking presumably Russian, but um, you're writing in English. So I was I was teasing that for myself when I was reading the the stories. Right. Um, I in the collection, I was trying to be very conscious that I do switch between Russian and non-Russian characters, and I, um, I, I tried as much as I, I could to provide um, sort of in, like uh, to 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 uh, to be you know to to, to give a quick you know who what where when at the top of these transitional stories or stories that that I where I knew that I was switching. Um, radically from one setting to to another, um, but yeah. Um, so, um, I mean, I I um, uh, I because well, so I I um, I mostly write in English. I have written in Russian, and I often um, I often actually use Russian in, in during the drafting process. I. Um, when I need to write dialogue, I often, um, you know, formally or informally, whether I write it down or I just think it through, I, I try to, I go back to Russian and sound out what the characters would actually say to each other in Russian, because that really affects the logic of the dialogue. So when I have uh, Russian characters or characters of Russian background, Speaking, I, I do, I do go back to, um, to the Russian language for that and translate. Um, and so, um, you know, and, and in workshop, um, you know, I, I, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I like, but I, you know, I, it's, it's sort of, um, uh, the other thing I always, I often think about is, uh, you know, when I approach a new story, depending on where the idea comes from, I, I I wonder, I ask myself, is this a story about the Russian diaspora, or would the story be more interesting if it were set in Russia, or you know, I or is this a, is could this be a story about American characters and or like non-Russian American Americans and who you know who how would that change the story? Um, so it's, it's, um, um, so, uh, sometimes transplanting, transplanting a story, a story idea from one, uh, cultural background into another, uh, um, it, it makes, you know, it, it, it makes, um, some, you know, it somehow, um, helps to make it a more interesting story, I think. Well, it, it certainly is working for you. I wouldn't change the thing. <laughs> but let's talk a little bit more about that that theme because you, it seems to me, are part of a generation of emigre writers in the United States uh, for whom the borders between this uh, country and Russia are a lot more porous than they were for your immediate pre- predecessors. I'm thinking about the Sergei Davlatov, uh, Joseph Brodsky. Um and and so there is a lot of back and forth, and there's certainly a lot of your stories, um, which are are very funny, are about sort of relatives visiting each other, and, and 
really not getting it, um, which I love because we, we have this in my family um, of everybody kind of moving around and not really getting each other's culture. Um, how does that fact, that porousness, um, affect the the way you craft the stories? I mean, it's an obvious theme throughout the collection. And I'm wondering if, you know, if you consciously think about it, or if it's just such a part of your world. Right. Um, that's a great question. Um, I, obviously, I grew up um, with these uh, stories of emigre writers about, you know, themselves, you know, myths they wrote about themselves and biographies. I read lots of biographies, and you know, and, you know, people who viewed immigration uh, as as a, as a tragedy, and for whom there, you know, that was um, uh, that was such a that was a complete break, right? Brodsky famously refused to go back to Saint Petersburg when um, you know Perestroika happened, and when he had the opportunity, and you know, um, in in Saint Petersburg, people you know people asked him and you know, encouraged him to come back and they really wanted him to come back and uh and he didn't, he refused. Uh he but the um he you know, he, he it would it would have been too painful for him, I suppose. And I think he has written about that. Um but I remember the day, you know, when you know, of his death, uh, my literature teacher in St. Petersburg, um uh, just was devastated, and it was that whole that 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 it was the fifth final, you know, sort of that 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 idea that he he would never come back was so um, just powerful. But so so when I um and and you know in '96 when I came here when I you know flew to the U.S. I actually. Um, it, you know, I, I, it was, it, it was so soon after the, um, you know, after the fall of the Soviet Union that actually I didn't know what, what was going to happen. I it felt like I was, you know, I, I could never go back, you know, or like, so, you know, there was the, I, I carried some of that tragic narrative with me and over the years, um, as as um, the the you know um, you know as it, as it turned you know, into comedy somehow it's you know it, it's it, it, it's right because the the tragedy didn't come true or you know the travel has become only easier in my you know in my lifetime and it's you know despite everything that is going on politically it's still super easy to travel and actually getting easier and easier in some ways the visas <laughs> the visas right now are mm. yeah, yeah but, the visa's still uh, a nightmare but yeah so 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 then what is my so I don't have so as a writer that that sort of that took away my great tragic subject <laughs> <laughs> I know. So, oh no! So, um, I know. So unfair. So and, unfair. Um, and it's like, well, actually, I could go back, and I could have a lifetime in Russia, and I, I did try. I, I in a, a couple of times in 2003 and in 2007, I went back to Russia for extended periods of time. I spent the summer there, and I, I wrote, I wrote a, a lot, a lot of stories there. Um, but um 
but yeah, so I had to find. So yeah, that you're totally right. That I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm turning that tragedy into into comedy, into comedy of disconnection, or you know, disconnect and uh, and and connections. You know, the sort of uh, unexpected uh, um, connections. Well, and the disconnections, because one of the themes that comes through, particularly in the in the short story that is like water is the idea of a missed opportunity. Um, and it seems to me that emigration is a great subject for, you know, the ultimate missed opportunity, that you've given up one country for another. Um, and there are a couple more like that um, in, in, the, uh, in the collection. And I wonder if you'd speak a little bit about that concept of a missed opportunity. Do you feel like there are a lot of missed opportunities? Um, well, I mean, that was... Uh, yeah, I uh, <laughs> um, I remember when you know when I um, you know when I graduated from my university uh, and got a job at a sort of the you know like low level entry market research job and um, you know and my friends were graduating from their you know universities and at the time and and still in Russia it feels like. Uh, for young professionals, things happen so fast and so quickly. They were immediately catapulted in positions of great authority and becoming managers, and things were developing very dynamically for them. And I, <laughs> I was so like, oh my god, maybe you know, like I made all the wrong decisions, and you know. Um, so anyway, but so I've, I've been playing this game of what ifs my entire life, and what could have happened. Um, but, but, but like, but, but not, not, you know, uh, uh, but, um, um, it's, you know, in, um, with, with like what I feel like, and with this book, I'm actually entering somewhat different territory. Um, so the, the, with, with like what are my, uh, characters in a, um, she's she's uh, she's an academic and she's uh she's uh, she's married and she um you know it, it, i feel like it's a post me too story um that um sort of i i wrote it very much in response to um the conversation about uh sexuality and um how you know, and the sort of the, the 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 great need that I feel for women to express their point of view in the the sexual exchange that feels extremely unfair. <laughs> um, but but um, but in the story, the, this 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 that 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 theme is you know it's it's in, indirectly my my character basically um, um, has an opportunity to to think back on her past and to um, think about, uh, you know, her herself uh, possibly as a lesbian, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, I don't know if she's ready to even come out of herself, uh, you know, in, in, in her 40s, you know, um, I think she's not, um, she's not even full, she's not fully prepared for it, but she's, she's almost there. <laughs> um, and, uh, but it's, you know, so, but what, you know, one of the, these, um, you know, so, but one of the, um, 
um, you know, and one of the, the, the ideas there is that, you know, growing up in Petersburg, you know, in the 80s and 90s, um, you know, I, you know, I personally, I didn't even know the word homosexual, I think, or like maybe, maybe I didn't know the word homosexual, but like not, I didn't really know what it meant, you know, I, I didn't realize you know, and, and, you know, people, I remember clearly people talked about how miserable Tchaikovsky might, might have been, but why? I didn't, I didn't, so it was a very, very much taboo topic. And, you know, there were no uh, cultural examples of, um, and of, of, um, uh, homosexual relationships. Uh, and that all, you know, and, and, it, it's, it's so it's very socially conservative in very many ways, and in many ways the culture is still that um, the 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 whole culture of right the public coming outs that 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 have transformed the landscape I think in the U.S. has not happened in Russia yet, and it's still a very painful and very taboo topic. So so my character you know marvels that for this is you know how long it has taken for her to even consider the possibility um that she, right um and uh yeah and it's um and it's it's so in this this way i'm i'm uh, embracing i'm actually <laughs> um i'm you know moving to san francisco and um you know, maybe seeing, seeing, um, yeah, seeing all kinds of possibilities of, um, you know, relationships, um, that people have here has really, <laughs> has been incredibly inspiring and, um, has made me really reflect on, on, um, you know, uh, on the social conservatism of the Soviet society. Um, and and my my own yeah my own upbringing I guess I think that comes through really well um, when you when you juxtapose a couple of characters you know an, an older uh, relative coming to stay in the United States or younger people going uh, over to the to the Soviet Union and kind of um, a difference of generation but also a, a deep deep cultural divide right. Um, <laughs> It's you know it's funny um, I I um, you know I I often though there was one one particular moment when um, a friend came during the pride parade and oh, <laughs> and or like the pride festivities because in San Francisco it's like a week of festivities and uh, and I I uh, took him to see some of it and. You know, I I don't think we had even a language to talk about what we were seeing. You know, like so it was, you know, so like I think it was it was definitely interesting, but for 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 my friend, but um, but we didn't talk about it. We didn't have a way of talking about it. I mean, uh, I think you know, I, well, yeah, the the only the only yeah, like I. You know, it was um, still 
You still don't have yeah. the language to right. talk about it all. Yes, I know, I know. I started getting very uh, tongue-tied. <laughs> no, no, no. But I, I think that that's very true. I mean, I, I, I still encounter this in, in Russia with um, acquaintances and um, the relatives of, of my husband. It, there isn't a kind of a language or a vernacular to, t- to speak about it. And I think there'll be several more generations before they get there. Um, but one thing that is very easy to talk about, both in Russia and here, is this uh, universal topic of motherhood, which is another really strong, arguably the strongest strain uh, in your collection of stories. And it's fascinating to me because you are very much a modern professional woman balancing the the sort of trying to find the work-life balance between motherhood and working and raising kids. And you add into that the piquancy of the bicultural um, uh, sort of parenting uh, arc, I guess. And in doing so, you you kind of turn this um, cherished Russian or Soviet ideal of, you know, the mother is kind of in some way sacrosanct. And you kind of let the air out of the tires of that concept in a really refreshing way. Um, and I wondered if you'd speak to, I mean, you, you are a mother yourself. Um, and you, I think that you were writing these short stories as your children were very small. Is that right? Um, yeah, I wrote most of the book um, after the birth of my son and before the birth of my daughter. So in between, <laughs> the in-between years. <laughs> yeah. Was motherhood something that had, had um, as, a, as a topic, as a theme, had occurred to you before you started writing or you know, after you became a parent or how did you kind of come to it? Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I, have, I have been, well... I've been writing mostly it's I I really from the I I've been so I've been writing mostly about parent like a parent child conflict I've been writing a lot about not even conflict but the the disconnect between generational uh points of view uh and I've been writing uh so I've been writing so some of the stories actually um I've written way before kids, but but I think it's actually fairly easy to tell which ones. Like um, my mother in at the shooting range, uh, which, yes. which is <laughs> um, it's 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 really a view maybe more at at. So in a, in another way, um, I was writing about my, um, my my characters' relationships with their. Uh, parents, I guess, mo- mothers in particular, and also a, a lot about reproductive pressure because um, I have several stories. That story and Dr. Sveda end up being about the reproductive pressure, <laughs> and then um, which which very naturally I think leads to the the uh, the motherhood, the early mo- motherhood stories. <laughs> And for for the benefit of our listeners um, who don't know as much about Russia as, as as you and I do, explain what reproductive pressure is, and that because it's a very you're referring to a very specific thing, right? Um, yeah. So in I mean in Russia, I feel in the so I would say post Soviet Union, um, uh, there's very much at stake for. Uh, for people to, uh, you know, who are parents to have their children to have children, <laughs> um, because, uh, you know, families, um, you know, 
people people end up depending on their children for um, you know support in their old age, um, and and it's it's seen. But th- that's one of the one of the explanations that I. I um, but uh, basically, uh, it's the right reproductive pressure is basically you know when you have your your mother uh, will start asking you after the day after you're married. So when are you gonna have children? Now that you have a husband, <laughs> and, well, and your yeah. mother and her yeah. friend yeah. and the lady friend. down the street. Yeah. And you know, right. I remember yeah. my first yeah. years in Russia. Mm-hmm. Like people, perfect strangers would say to me, "You can't sit on the stone. You know, you'll you'll oh, r- yes. wreck your lady bits." You know, oh, um, actually, right. <laughs> that that reminds me that actually reproductive pressure begins when you're born as a yes. girl. Uh, you know the, the everything that the the main right the the, the not sitting on cold cold things. Uh, uh, You've got to protect. I mean, you're just a protect, vessel. Yeah, you're just a right. vessel. Yes, right. Very, <laughs> very you, much so. <laughs> oh dear! No, I thought I laughed out loud at at many of of those moments. Um, but and I wanted to talk to you as well about um, uh, some of your stories are like one line. Um, mm-hmm. and I was going through it and I thought, well, of course there are some of these are only one line, like, cause she has two kids. Um, you know, <laughs> she doesn't have time. Um, and then I thought there's more to it than mm-hmm. that. Um, but you have an amazing way of distilling a whole story and like a, like a big narrative arc into just a few lines or a paragraph or so. And I wonder how do you come to choose the length of a story or does it choose you or how, what is the process on that? Um, yeah, well, um, sometimes, uh, you know, well, well, so with this book, what happened basically, um, you know, when I was coming back to write, came back to writing about six months after my son was born and I, um, sat down at the keyboard and just started typing and it was, you know, it was actually this repetition of that same thing. I had a very discreet time to write and I, um, so like, you know, a couple of hours, um, at a time. And, um, and I, um, you know, and I was, uh, I had been tinkering with novel ideas, uh, for, for, you know, for a year before my son had been born, I was working in this, um, historical novel and, but it was, you know, it was very much research based and I knew that I had no, you know, there was no time, no time to finish my research um, and to really get into the story. And I had no, no attention span for that. But, but I, but, but I did what I had done at the beginning of my career. I knew that I could, um, that, that, you know, I could finish something. I could throw at the page something and then come back to it later and see if it's sufficient or not, or if, if this is a story or if I need to do revisions. I, at this, at, at that point, I knew very well what to do in revision, but, uh, so yeah, so I just, um, um, I, I just, I threw at the page as many ideas as I could. And then as my t- time expanded, as my son uh, grew older and I, um, then he went to preschool and I was able to, um, um, you know, to, to go back and look uh, at some of these drafts and I ended up, uh, ended up revising a lot of them and, uh, some expanding some, um, uh, contracting some, some change, changing some, uh, writing some new longer stories. 
Um, but yeah, that, that's the, the process I think is very much about, so the, the shape of this book is very much about being a new mother. Uh, I see. Would you, would you return to the novel at any time? That particular novel, maybe, um, it's or yeah, the, it's, just the novel as a genre. The novel as a genre. Uh, I, I, I'd like to, um, I, I definitely, I have a lot of, I have a lot of story ideas, but, but in, in another way, it's, um, you know, I, I, at the moment, um, I'm, I'm exploring, I'm moving towards the personal essay right now. So I'm, I'm writing more, hmm. um, you know, I, I do have these stories from the nineties that I really want to tell. And, um, uh, I've, I've tried several, there, there are several stories in here in this collection where I approached some of my, you know, my, some of that material. Uh, and then, you know, the, there are stories, um, about coming to, to the U.S., um, for, in, in, you know, for, you know, um, so soon after the Soviet Union had ended and landing in Rochester, New York, where I was one of the, you know, few, like, you know, for many, you know, for many people I encountered then, um, they had never met a person from the Soviet Union before. And so I was tasked with representing a culture, as I'm sure you can imagine what that, you know, <laughs> that that's like. It's a very odd, um, um, position to be in and uh and um so and i think some of those stories are probably better to- told as personal essays um versus fiction that they're, they're too unique to my my personal story i think um so so yeah so right now i'm moving towards that the memoir personal essay um writing but but i do um I do have a lot of novel ideas. It's just a matter of, <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> finding the and, time. And, well, finding right, the and time. also, you know, and also finding ways of, uh, some, somehow the novel seems so daunting or so, um, I have a lot of anxieties about being able to accomplish a novel, you know, having the long uh-huh. breath. There are all kinds of weird, you know, patriarchal met- metaphors, I think, about what the novel is and, you know, and what it means to... Particularly, yeah. yeah, particularly for yes. Russian writers, yeah. I think it's 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 exceptionally yeah. daunting, um, for sure. But this, you speak in your in the foreword to your book about um, the process um, of moving from from childhood to adulthood, which you say for the artist is is ongoing. So hopefully, that's you know that's a linear <laughs> process for you, and we yeah. can look forward to you, you know, yeah. aging yeah. in. That's, that's, I love that. <laughs> I, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. Well, for sure, well, it's yeah, it's it's a difficult genre, but it's um, you know, I think we haven't found anything to replace it, um, in terms of of really gripping us. Um, t- tell me, your your husband, you also credit with um, being your first, and in in your in Dandelion, he he, I think makes a, a brief appearance, um, with helping you learn to write in English. And how did how did that happen? Does he speak no, Russian? Um, it's a cute story because uh, I met him in the dorms. Uh, he helped me with my luggage when I was moving into the dorms. Um, um, when um, uh, you know, in my first 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 year of 
uh, school. It was about a month after I had arrived to to the U.S. and um, you know, so it was one of the sort of the first encounters, uh, my first encounters. Um, but no, so he and um, he he's uh, he grew up in the suburbs of Philly. He doesn't speak Russian, but um, uh-huh. he uh, he and his group of friends we had. So he and his roommate in college, um, uh, uh, Jason. I probably should have credited him too because Jason had this massive collection of movies uh, and um, we, you know, she would, you know, basically they used, they used me as a, as an opportunity to rewatch all of like the 300 movies from Jason's ah. library. <laughs> and, um, and they oh, would, great. you know, they were so, they were so great. They would stop, stop the movie, rewind it, um, then act it out and, like act out the scene that had just happened and then play play the tape again so that was that was my introduction oh, to the colloquial <laughs> english uh but later later jay was definitely my first reader um for many years and i mean still these days i um i i uh you know i i try to read to him out loud what my my stories um and he's you know he always has some fascinating, fascinating things to say about it. Oh, I think that's great. So you have a very bicultural family. You've created a, a very bicultural family. Um, what are some of the what are some of the pros and cons, or the the gifts and the curses of that? For particularly for your for an individual right. as well as for a writer. You know, that, that's really that's really interesting. That's a great question. Um, uh, for 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 the writer, I think it's a, purely a gift because <laughs> I mean yes, materialist. Material. So oh my gosh! I mean, the, the, I would say the downside of that perhaps is that there are just way too many stories. And so, for example, with you know, like mm. in one of the questions that I have to so- solve with my approach to, for, for a novel is that which of the stories do I you know pull you know take first, take up first, which of the stories is the most pressing? Because there's so many, um, so many stories to tell. Um, uh, the, the, um, but, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, we've been, so Dave and I have, you know, like, we, you know, we started dating about six months after we met. And so we've been together for crazy, you know, crazy amount, well, you know, crazy long time, but we still have daily you know, daily misunderstandings or like ways of in which cult, like cultural, we're still we're still figuring out the cultural um, sort of approaches, the the difference in the cultural approaches to things. Like, mm-hmm. and and you know, as one goes through life, new problems keep arising. So now we, you know, we're uh, our son is about to, well next year he's uh, going to um, kindergarten and we. In San Francisco, there's a lottery system mm. for the public school, and we, you know we're going around looking at all of these schools, and we we've come to understand that education means entirely different things to him than to me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, and I'm tr- I'm still I'm I'm still trying to reconcile that, and so um, yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, well, I, I, I'm celebrating my 25th anniversary this year, and I can tell you it never gets any easier. Uh, never, you never, know never. What, what I'm talking about. Ever, ever, ever. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I mean, my daughter's about to graduate from college, and um, we're still kind of, we're still kind of wrapping our heads around, you know, how, how do, how do we parent? How do we, you know, how do we celebrate the holidays? How do we do this? Uh, you know, um, and I loved your story about the, um, the little boy who, who interprets the fairy tale completely different from his Russian emigrant mother. I mean, I think that really kind of distills things down. Um, I, I remember taking my, my little girl to, um, a trick or treat in Moscow, and that was like a whole scene. Um, and people were like, "You, know, you should knock on people's doors in Russia." That's not good. Uh, so that, yeah, I found it. I found it a, a real wealth of materials. Um, so, what? Uh, one question I always like to ask people is, uh, "What did you learn writing this book that you didn't that surprised you, or or revealed itself to you, or that you hadn't really thought about before you you sat down to sort of put it together?" And I know this is a collection that you you worked on over a period of of time. But um, well, what has it taught it, you? It, it definitely, um, you know, one thing that was interesting to see. Um, when I put these stories together um, is, you know, sort of discovering my own recurring themes or things that I have been thinking about for, um, or the things that I keep returning to, like, um, you know, the mother-daughter relationship, for example. I had been writing that, um, you know, way before I had been a mother. but it, and it's it's taken a new turn, um, you know. Now that I am a mother, and you know, the in in another way, um, it's you know, it's uh, so so, um, so so I'm I'm um, learning, I'm learning a lot about so right right my like sort of my what my interests are actually through looking at this book you know um or through, through seeing mm-hmm. it together and then you know the other interesting very interesting thing that has happened for me is that um i i learned a lot in from the way this book was received um in the community or what community it found the book it's you know it really, it really surprised me um, in, in the way that uh, say on, tw- on on Twitter and just um, I, I've been able to find my um, or my like the community of like the, the people who are in, in betweeners right like the people like, who write the uh, the Russian American yeah. community or even go, going beyond America, right? Um, just sort of the diaspora, the the post-Soviet diaspora um, that that is very geographically dis- dispersed, um, but um, for whom the you know who who have been super enthusiastic about my my book and uh, but but that feedback has really also has really helped me to um, understand. Um, you know who who my audience is, or who who are the the, the people with whom um, I'm speaking the same language. You know that the even though, <laughs> right? But but you know, um, or you know, uh, maybe maybe it's not even 
like it's not that definitive it's not like the single language but who can understand the difficulty the the the, the shades of language <laughs> use yeah yeah absolutely absolutely because you've you've um while this is very much rooted in the russian emigre experience i think that any one who sets off to live in a different culture in a different country can find much in this book um, that will speak to that experience. Um, you know, when I when I first was starting to read the stories, the um, story entitled "Like Water" comes at the end, and I thought that "Like Water" was suggesting that, in a way, that water kind of fills up whatever container it's in and takes the shape that it's very malleable, um, that it will fill up, but it can also change into ice or it can change into steam. And that seemed to me a really powerful metaphor for the emigre experience, that you have to be willing to change and willing to shape yourself to different contours. And, um, and then, I, and then of course, water turns out to be something quite different in the story, but um, I think it's, it's kind of both in a way. I think you've given voice to an experience that's very real in our time um, and doing it in a really elegant way. And I really enjoyed the book. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so we've talked a little bit about what, what's coming next. You're working on um, some personal essays. Will you continue to write short stories? Oh, absolutely. I, I don't, I think I'm addicted. <laughs> it's, it's, but it's really, you know, it's sort of like some people diary. I've stopped diarying pretty much completely. I just write short, well, short stories. <laughs> well, I, I, that's, I think that the diary's loss is, is the uh, reader's gain. And, and I include myself in that. Um, where can listeners find you online, Olga? I know you have, I know you're on Twitter because you and I are often exchanging things on Twitter. Right, I'm uh, right. I'm uh, my, my um, uh, handle is B O W L G A Bolga. You know, I'm, you know, I'm on various uh, social media platforms like Twitter and Instagram, uh, and I have a website. It's my last name, which is Z I L B E R B O U R G dot com, Zilberborg dot com. Okay. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Well, we will certainly link all that um, in the notes, but um, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. But I want to thank Olga Zilberberg for spending this time with us to talk about the emigre experience, uh, writing, motherhood, uh, family, and her wonderful collection of short stories, Like Water and Other Stories, which is out this autumn um, and is available wherever fine books are sold. Um, I'm your host, Jennifer Yerimeyeva. Uh, and Olga, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. Thank you, Jennifer. It was a true pleasure to talk to you. Oh, it's been great. And thank you to, uh, to you, our listeners, for tuning in and tune in next time when I'll be back with another uh, great interview uh, with another great author about another great book, um, as will my colleagues at the New Books Network. Thank you very much. Thank you.